Yeah, recording. There we go. Welcome to the G&T sessions. Everything that shits us about business and one thing that we love. And we've got a really kick-ass topic today, Gerda, haven't we? It's something that's been swirling around in lots and lots and lots of conversations over the last week or two. Um, I think uh-huh. you and I have um, crossed paths a couple of times in these conversations. So it's a good time to be talking. I'm going to let you, it was your idea to talk about this today, so I'm going to let you introduce that while I finish sharing all the things in all the places. <laughs> all good. I'm happy to kick us off. Um, yeah, I, I feel like I need to first and foremost apologise to the visual um, audience for my undried hair that is very, very wet. I just told Tess earlier on, I don't know what look I'm going for here, uh, what decade I'm from, but I, I haven't bought myself a hairdryer. So that's why you're getting the, the wet look today from me. And I had a run, I had a shower, but I'm all nice and refreshed. And coming back to the topic of the day, of course, I actually told Tess, I think we need to talk about this, but I couldn't recall whether we've had this conversation before on the GNT mm. show because it feels to me like I speak about this very often. It feels to me like I hear Tess talk about this very often. Um, I, I not only feel, I know it, <laughs> mm. right? I also have noticed more and more conversations with it popping up. And I would like to believe that, that maybe those conversations is about us talking about it but a lot of it is also an indication that we really need to talk more about it, right? And I'm hopeful that today's podcast and this live stream will give us an opportunity to go a bit more in depth to what we can normally go when we're just answering a question in a Facebook group, right? And um, the title, I tried to type it out, it confused me because maybe it is confusing, but it is about all these um, limiting beliefs that we have in our mind that then leads to self-limiting behavior in our practice and in turn really um, stops our practice from growing at the rate it could, could potentially grow and to a place where we can have a practice that's not going to burn us up because that's the goal at the end of the day, right? To create yep. a proper business, one where you can remove yourself from it, should that be what you choose to do, where you create a sellable asset, but doing all of that in a way that doesn't burn you out and doesn't burn out your team, right? And I think that a lot of people are very stuck in their practice growth um, because they are stuck in their mental until their mindset growth and it's all as a result of self-limiting beliefs about what we can and can't do what we should and shouldn't be doing um, as business owners but especially also as helping professionals um, and all the rules and regulations around all of that stuff right which can be very scary and I guess for us uh, when we think about that the indication or the trigger for you to show that you are dealing with a self-limiting belief is normally one or other challenge that you are having in your practice. Okay. Um, yeah. And so we really look at it. We see people ask all these questions, which seems like very specific operational questions, really. Right. But the answer is more a mindset answer because unless you elevate your thinking around it, it makes it very hard to address it on an operational level. 
Yep. Am I right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Most certainly. So that's 100%. the context. So that's the context. So uh, we thought what we might do is we'll look at two or three examples where we see these happen very commonly for practice owners. So do you want to kickstart us with the first, probably the most common example test? Yeah, okay, okay. I'm just fixing up my little bit here, sorry. I'm fiddling with my phone. So I think the most common example is is um, people worrying that because of where they're located and who their clientele is, that nobody's going to be able to afford their fees and therefore this assumption that they have to keep their fees low. Um, mm. And, you know, in the case of private practices, obviously that often leads to an assumption that you have to bulk bill because of your client population and the socioeconomic area that you're in. And there are so many answers to that assumption that mm. we could spend we could spend several podcasts going through all the answers to that assumption. Um, mm. I, I think there what's probably easier is to look at examples of, of successful practices who have burst through that assumption. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I certainly am very familiar of um, private practices in rural locations where there is a lot of unemployment where the practice is not bulk billing anybody um, and charging, you know, a, a, a fee that is similar to what would be charged in a metropolitan area and mm. still they can't stem the flow of mm. referrals to their practice. Yeah. How are they able to do that? They're able to do that because they're providing excellent service. They're mm. standing firm in what they need to charge for their business to mm. not just survive, but to be mm. sustainable for the long term, for themselves to earn a salary, uh, for mm. their staff to be able to be paid a salary. Um, and also their reputation is rock solid. So they're working on their communication within their community. They're working on their com communication on social media. They provide a lot of free resources on mm. social media and elsewhere. Um, and they also have a really clear framework of what advice to give to people who can't afford their fee. So they know what other agencies in their communities are available that are government or non-government organisations that don't charge a fee, or they know, um, they know of um, you know, telehealth options with other organisations that don't charge a fee. What I love about those practices is they don't assume that some other private practice will bulk bill this person. I think mm. that's a really important thing to get clear. They assume that free services are the services that are funded by government or non-government agencies and are intended to be free. Um, and this holds true not just for mental health practices, but we see the same. I see the same in medical mm. practices. Uh, in rural settings where, you know, the medical practice has said to the community, we can't afford to be here unless we charge a private fee. Mm. 100,000%. I, I cannot mm. agree more with every point that you've made. Yeah. And just listening to you to what, when you were speaking, there's so many points in there. Hence yeah. you say we can have several podcasts about this, right? So the stuff that really stands out there, for me is that self-empowerment as a rural practice or maybe a practice located in a lower socioeconomic area. Mm -hmm. And um, if I know that there are going to be people that can't afford my services, empowering myself with the knowledge mm -hmm. 
i.e. Yep. knowing what resources is available so that I can provide mm -hmm. that value to <clears throat> clients that call in, right? So, so important. The other really important thing as you were talking there that was popping into my head, you know, a lot of people's objections when they are living rurally or they're living in a, so a lower socioeconomic area, you know, they want to serve their community, mm. right? Um, they want to serve them. They, they, they want to give people access. And we are so very much aware that, you know, for a lot of people, you know, money is a barrier to access, um, you know, services, which again, then comes back to uh, making sure that you know where to refer them to. Um, it also um, is important to know that you can't be everything to everybody, just like yep. you can't do that in your personal life and in your social life. You cannot be that in your business mm. life. And the mm. sooner you realize that, the better. As helping professionals, we try and drill that into our clients, right? You yeah. can't be everything to everyone because there'll be nothing left over of you at the end of the day. And it's the same for you as a business and you need to realize that. Charging your worth, another point, right? Let's say if you are in a lower socioeconomic area, in a rural area, by actually charging your worth, you know, what it is that you need to charge in order to run a successful business allows you to be able to offer wages to clinicians who will then be willing to come and work for you. Okay. Yeah. It will make it fi a financial option for somebody to go, you know what, I'm going to leave the hustle and bustle of the city, take me and my family, go and live in a rural location, but I still need to earn money and, you know, pay my mortgage and put my kids through school and, you know, all of that type of stuff. We can't attract other clinicians to our locations if we don't have the money to pay them. And unfortunately, if you have a bulk billing practice, you, you're not going to be able to pay somebody, no. right? You're going to mm. maybe be able to pay them, but you're going to go, um, you know, short of money pretty quickly. That's just mm. how it is. Yeah. And I think so. I think, I think whether you're employing team members as an employee or, or whether you're recruiting contractors to your business, if you're not charging a reasonable fee, um, then the argument will always be around percentages, mm. Mm. Uh, for contractors, the the, yeah. the the percentage argument doesn't go away when we're recruiting mm. contractors, mm. Um, and if you are not charging um, the appropriate or, or or an appropriate fee in your practice, then the clinicians take home. Mm money isn't going to be very much so of course they're going to argue with you and push back mm -hmm. about percentages mm -hmm. if your practice is established on a bulk billing basis you could offer them a hundred percent of the mm -hmm. bulk bill rate and then still not necessarily mm -hmm. be happy with the take-home yeah. money um, that you're offering for mm -hmm. them so your capacity to mm -hmm. compete against government agencies and against other practices mm -hmm. is it's you're making it that much harder for yourself so if your mm -hmm. practice charges a decent practice fee and a mm -hmm. consulting fee you can then also look at then the model, whether you're employing clinicians. It mm. gets easier to afford to run an employment model if your practice is based on a decent um, mm. fee charging basis. Um, and, and also it's easier to discuss percentages with contractors 
from the percent perspective of the take-home dollars because their take-home dollars is high and as you increase your fees at, at regular intervals as you should um, they're getting a pay increase whether or not the percentage changes so um, the pressure isn't on you as a practice owner to 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 take home to your business less money to cover all the bases because that's really what contractors are asking if, mm. if if the fee stays the same and they want a higher percentage, they're asking you to take less money from the business to run all the things that you have to pay for, which is, you know, people forget to look at it from that perspective, mm. especially yeah. practice owners when they're feeling pressured to increase mm. a percentage. Yeah. They're forgetting to look at the, the, well, the fact that that means that they will have less money, even less mm -hmm. money to mm. run their business. So it yeah. all has to start with the fee structure and mm -hmm. a healthy fee structure to keep your business viable. And then the conversation with team becomes much more flexible about employment versus contracting and how much money the individual mm -hmm. takes home at the end of the day. Mm. Got to start and, there. And I, and I think what is really clear as we're talking about all of this is how this one potential self-limiting belief has the potential to impact so many aspects of your business, right? Mm. It's not really just about, you know, um, how high should my fee be? Do I need to offer concession rates? Mm. Do I need to bulk? It, it goes beyond all of that. These all decisions that. impact so many aspects of your business and it impacts the potential future and sustainability of your business. So we are all in this business to serve mm -hmm. our clients, to serve mm -hmm. our community. But if you don't run it as a business, you will not be there long term to do just that. And, and that yeah. really is the reframe that in order for me to fully serve my community sustainably over the long term i need to run this little setup even if it's just me by myself or i've got a team of 20 i still need to run it based on the same business principles in order for yep. me to still be here in six months six years six uh, 16 years however long i want to do this yeah thing. Yep. Mm. yeah that's exactly right i think um you know linked to that is this notion as well that everybody needs to be charged out at the same well there's there's within teams i'm i'm having a lot of conversations at the moment about um the fee structure and how it relates to organizational structure hmm. um i think too many private practices and we are moving towards a, a new model in um my practice where we're really looking to organisational structure to predict or to dictate or to base uh, fee structure on. So yeah. seniority of clinician dictates fee, not what endorsement you do or don't have as a clinical yeah. psychologist yeah. or not a clinical psychologist. Yeah. So, um, and, and linked to that, I think a lot of practice owners sometimes feel a little bit uncomfortable charging more than the clinicians in their team, especially if they have clinicians in their team who are mm -hmm. clinically endorsed psychologists and they themselves are not. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of self-limitations there for a lot of practice owners around, one, we should all change, charge the same, otherwise um, mm -hmm. I'm going to feel bad about what I think my team members are thinking about me. Mm. And we can talk about that at length. Um, and also I'm, I'm not eligible to charge more than my team members because I'm not endorsed. 
uh, as mm. a clinical psychologist or whatever it might be. And mm. I think really when we look at it from an organisational structure, structural perspective, if you look at any other industry in the world, mm. you'll see that the CEO, everybody wants to work with the CEO. Everyone mm. wants to choose a CEO to be their personal accountant or their personal mm-hmm. advertising executive or their personal um, hairdresser. You know, if the, pr- yeah. if the business is in the name of a person, then everyone wants that person to do their thing mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. But that person remains one person with only the same number of hours in a day as the rest of us. So, of course, in any other sector, you will see that person's fee be the highest as part of a gatekeeping measure Mm-hmm. So that, that that people are then steered towards working with the other members of the team, one. Mm-hmm. And two, so that that person, the, the CEO person, is generating enough revenue to cover the time they have to take away from revenue generation to run the business. Mm-hmm. And also so that their team has jobs going forward. <laughs> So, so I, I, I'm interested on your take on that, Gerda, because I know that you, I know you and I have very similar views on it. But mm-hmm. that whole idea of, of an organisational structure as the underpinning for a fee structure mm-hmm. certainly something we're starting to implement uh, in my mm-hmm. practice, um, mm-hmm. and it's certainly something that I do encourage others to look at in their practices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, one hundred percent agree with everything you've said and um, two extra points that I could probably add on there in addition um, I mean me personally although you know being a clinician is very separate from being a business owner I often use my clinical skills uh, on myself as a business owner so what I would suggest people ask themselves is as a general rule you know does the CEO charge their hourly rate out at the same as everybody else or as a general rule when I go to other consulting businesses do they charge different people out at different rates right so you know a solicitor will be x amount a paralegal will be um, y amount the assistant will be a amount right Um, as a general rule there is different payment structures so why should we be all different yeah yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's a very important reflective question. And I think mm. a lot of times it is our own beliefs around self-worth and money and what that means mm. that is coming in and messing with our ability to run our practice as a business. That's right. And I think it's this the helping mentality coming into mm. conflict with the business mm. owner mentality. So the CEO mindset and the helping mindset. Mm. Um, I think another way of looking at it, the the simplest advice that I got from my accountant was that, you know, anybody that you're paying in your business should be generating triple what you're paying them, which is great. A great, just a great rule of thumb to help you looking at minimum what your person needs to be charging or needs to be generating each week Mm -hmm. to cover their salary. Um, so if you look at other industries, should, you know, the CEO, of course, is paid more, you should be paying Mm. yourself a salary. And if you're not, then first of all, start thinking about that. But Mm. in order for the CEO to be paid a CEO salary, then of course it makes sense. If we look at my accountant's advice, that the CEO salary has to come from somewhere. And so the CEO Mm. also needs to also needs to be a profit center. Yeah. Yeah. They need to be generating enough revenue that they are also not only covering their own salary they are also adding to the money that the practice needs or the business needs to put aside 
mm. for mm. unexpected things, for profit, mm. for future stuff, for all sorts of things. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Most certainly. The, and, and your business, any business, irrespective of, of size, cannot grow unless there's somebody at the helm doing the strategic thinking, um, keeping us on course with the vision, looking at opportunities, looking at the threats, making those daily decisions, focusing on business development. The business can't grow unless there's somebody no. doing that. And you as the principal, as the business owner, are best suited to do that, right? Yeah. So you need to ask yourself, do I want my practice to grow? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, then I'm sorry, you're going to have to allow yourself then to step into being that CEO, irrespective mm. of how big your practice is, and charging yourself out as a, okay, you are the business yeah. owner. That's yeah. just how it is. And I think yeah. the other part that I do like also about the having an org structure is um, if we think about traditionally in private practice, right? Um it is like you come in, you're a clinician and that's it. <laughs> mm. And then yeah. we ask ourselves, why do our team leave after two years or three years? Well, it's because like, where do they go, right? And, and, and it's again, uh, we need to learn from other businesses. As a general rule, most businesses has a career progression pathway for their people, right? Otherwise, people are going to get bored of doing the same thing. Um, yes, I know there yeah. will be some people that are happy just to do the same thing day in, day out, week in, week out, month here in but most people aren't like that. And yeah. I think a lot of times the people that we hire into our practices are very similar to us. They share the same values in terms of want to contribute, want to achieve stuff, want to make a difference, right? Want to have an impact. Yeah. So you need to have a career progression pathway, i.e. an org structure, which is really the framework of that pathway yeah. for them to go, okay, this is the next thing that I can do here, or that's the next thing. And I think that's yeah, really, really yeah. important to have. Yeah, that's right. I think that's right. And I think, you know, talking about CEO and uh, you know, being the CEO and having that mindset is something that I think a lot of practice owners, especially if they are a practice of one or two people, a lot of mm -hmm. practice owners feel really uncomfortable stepping into not only that mindset, but into that language of mm -hmm. being a CEO, being a director, being a business mm -hmm. owner, owning a company, that's all language that we assume belongs to other industries. But unless mm. we start looking at that language and owning that, so again, this whole self-limiting self belief around, oh, I'm not a CEO, I'm not a director, mm. I'm just a psychologist or I'm just a social worker or I'm just mm. this or just that. Well, if you're owning the business, if your response, if the tax department comes to you, mm. you know, if, if, if ASIC comes to you, uh, if you know you own the business, you're responsible for all of the financials. Mm -hmm. Then yeah. sorry to break it to you, but you're a business owner and you're a CEO, unless yeah. you know you're a partner. And if you're a partner, that's a different different. Then you co-directors or yeah. co-CEOs. You know, um, yeah. and I think you know the idea of of everyone charging out the same. You know, that's all that's all lovely. If mm. you are if you are operating a cooperative. Yeah. And a cooperative is where everybody shares all of the expenses equally and mm. everybody earns the same amount equally. Mm. And that's mm. a very lovely ideal, but mm. I would argue 
that um, even if everybody is sharing all the expenses equally, I bet you are still not having equal share of responsibility. You still have all the responsibility to rally all of the things. If your name is on the lease, if your name is on the electricity bill, if your name is on everything else, unless you've been, unless you've set up a company structure where everybody is a, a co-director of the company, so it's a true equal responsibility and equal split, that's a different mm. thing. But that's a rarity. It's very, very rare mm. to see practices mm. set up like that. Mm. 100%. So many truth bombs that we're hearing so today. Many. I say test, so many. test bombs. <laughs> and it's awesome. All right. And maybe uh, uh, the, is this number three, a final thing that, that, that often pops up as well, when, especially when I speak to private mentoring clients, um, yeah. this belief that, you know, and, and, and it normally is triggered by somebody resigning. So, you yeah. know, get a resignation from a star clinician or a star yeah. admin person, and you go into this tailspin because you believe that this person is absolutely irreplaceable, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're the best on the team. I rely on them so much. They know all our staff. And what am I going to do now? And, and you just go down the rabbit hole of, of overwhelming anxiety and stress, yeah. right? Yeah. And I've been there Same. <laughs> more than one. Sometimes it takes a couple of goes before you yeah. learn the lesson. And the lesson is that uh, nobody is irreplaceable, right? So true. Because if you believe that people are irreplaceable, that you're going to have all those emotions of anxiety, worry, stress, and concern. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I can tell you hand on heart that I've learned that no one is irreplaceable. And for a long time, um, you know, I made that first switch into the mindset of knowing no one is irreplaceable, but I had this little tail end onto it, except myself, right? I'm the only one yes. that, that is, uh, that can't be replaced until I replaced myself with a principal, yes. right? Yes. So even I was uh, replaceable. So, so, so that's a bit eye-opening, and I'm not sure always whether the ego likes it that much, but it's the yeah. truth, right? It's yeah. about if you truly build your business, people can come and people can go, and you will yeah. be okay if you've yeah. got the systems, the processes, and the frameworks in place. And it's yeah. really about trusting that, that you're doing the things that you need to do in order to, yes, be disappointed if somebody leaves because they've been such an integral part of your practice. You have a, you know, a, a relationship with them as well um, and be sad about that, but still have the knowing that we will be okay. And yeah. we won't only be okay. The next person is going to be their amazing self and they're going to bring a lot more this normally happens to the table that's going to build on the contribution that this individual has made. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly right. So I think, you know, um, I've even down to the point of I had, um, I lost my practice manager uh, a few years ago and she left with uh, all the knowledge, well, not all of the knowledge, but the vast majority of the knowledge. And we as a practice mm-hmm. from an administrative perspective really had to start from the ground up. And the admin team I've got now, they did so much work to rebuild our policies and procedures, like just the manuals that we had. Mm-hmm. There was no written documentation when the other person mm-hmm. left. So obviously we learned to lesson, make sure mm-hmm. there is good documentation Secondly, don't let one person hold all the knowledge. And thirdly, 
nobody's irreplaceable mm. because the practice didn't die. I didn't die. Nobody else died. Mm. Everything continued to function and it just took a little bit of time for us to get mm. our heads around discovering what we didn't know because mm. we didn't know what mm. we didn't know. And that was probably the most stressful part was not knowing what we didn't know. But we soon yeah. figured that out. We figured that out when things went wrong, but we, we figured it out. And I like what you were saying about, you know, this, this idea that I, I think a lot of practice owners are still very much irreplaceable mm. in their businesses. And it's something that I encourage people to address. Um, you need to be, you need to not be the primary income generator for your practice. Um, because if you get hit by a, tr a truck tomorrow, who's going to pay your receptionist's mm. salary or will, or will they have to lose their job? Yeah. And that was, that was for me, that was the number one inspiration for me thinking about, well, how do I make myself um, mm. redundant in my own yeah. business in a way? Redundant is probably too big a word, but uh, redundant mm. more or less in my business. So, and yeah. you've talked about this before too, Gerda, you know, about, you know, making sure that you've got all of the systems in place so that if you get hit by a truck tomorrow, neither one of us would have practices that would have to close. Yeah. People would, would go into mourning for a significant period of time, I know, I but so. the business would continue to run. The business <laughs> would continue to run. Now exactly. I've actually, as you know, I've, I've now gone next level and mm. sold um, so I have two practice locations like you do and I've made sure they're separate entities like you have um, and I've now sold one of those. So have I have actually replaced myself mm. in one of those practice locations and that, that comes into practical uh, reality mm. next month. We're in transition phase at the moment but that you know, Alison takes over next month. And, and that has actually been quite an... Um, an exciting experience to sort of look through her eyes and see, okay, what does she need to know? What does she need to have in place? What can I help her um, preempt and things like that? Um, so, so we are all replaceable, but we need to plan for that. So we need to get over ourselves a little bit. We need to stop having the control freak thing going on. We need to stop being so frightened that people are going to ruin our business or ruin our reputation if we hand over some mm. control or if we delegate some tasks um you know my practice manager has her fingers right in my bank account officially so the bank knows it's her when she's in there uh, but she has her fingers right in the bank account she pays all the bills she works mm. out all the salaries she pays all the pays i don't do any of that stuff mm. um and she has a written policy so that she and she's actually now training somebody else to be able to do that as well so uh, within the team, mm -hmm. you have to be able to trust that 99.9% .9 of people are going to do the right thing and they're going to do mm -hmm. their best in yeah. their job uh, and until they don't. And when they don't, you address that then. Yeah, exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Uh, so the limiting beliefs that comes um, in there that often, you know, people express is, and, and I hear it so often, I can't, I can't delegate that, or I must, I'm the only one that can do this thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like, no, look there, your people, you've got people paying your bills and stuff. Ex my, mine is exactly the same. Both my principal and my accounts person have cards to my, well, the principal's got cards to the business to, to go shopping on the practice cards. And the accounts person, they both have got access into the bank accounts, right? They yeah. probably go into those bank accounts more than I do for the practice side yeah. of things, yeah. right? Um, yeah, you have to trust. And 
it is so freeing when you allow yourself to do that. I'm not saying don't have checks and balances in place, yeah. right? Everybody no. needs to be accountable. You still need to know what's going on in your bank account. So for me, my principal does our cash flow forecasting. She sends me a report on stuff. I can look at all that stuff. I can go into zero myself. There's checks and balances, but thank goodness I don't have to do all that stuff myself anymore, right? Because it just freed me up to do yep. all this other business development stuff and have a greater impact and build the practice. So it's so freeing if you can just recognize that limiting belief, that, that story that you're telling yourself that I must do this or I can't give it to someone else or it's faster if I just do it myself. No, it's oh, not. Oh, yeah, it's actually not. It's no. It's actually not. No. It's actually it not because, be, yeah, yeah. It, well, this is why it's not. This is how it's not faster to just do it yourself. Yeah. Okay, think of all the times when you're trying to do something for your business that requires you to concentrate and not be interrupted. Mm -hmm. So you might be doing planning some social media content, or you might be writing a blog post, or you might be you might even be trying to write a report. Um, but you need to concentrate and then someone's emailed you from your team saying do you know how I do the thing or do you know where the thing is or um, when can I spend this money buying a new chair or blah 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 mm -hmm. and you think you know it'll be just quicker if I just do that thing and so you do that thing and yes that thing might take five minutes for you to do mm -hmm. but you've then lost momentum on the bigger picture thing that you were working on and yeah. so you've lost your train of thought, you've lost your mojo, you've lost your momentum, and it takes you twice as long to then get back into. Yeah. If you do get back into it, if, you, if you're like mm. me, uh, mm. I'm juggling so many balls at the moment that if I lose momentum on something big, it can be days before I get back to it because then the next important mm. thing has already pounced mm. onto me. So it's really important that you don't buy into that. It'll only take me five minutes to answer this email to buy that thing online so they don't have to think about it. It's, it's no, it has to stop. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and, and I will tell the people listening and watching that when we talk about these things, we've gone through it, right? Oh, totally, so, absolutely. And it's like hindsight. And, and I think, believe us, we, we've got mm -hmm. your best interest at heart here because it will save you so much time. And we know that not having enough time is all of our biggest struggles, right? The last yeah. time I had to go through this mindset thing was when I hired my PA, right? Yeah. I think Abby's been with me now two years already, two years. And it's like, I knew I needed a PA. Logically, I knew it, right? Mm -hmm. But I had this, oh my goodness, I don't have time to prep to take someone on board or time to think about what to teach her or, oh, I need to get all these things in, mm -hmm. in place so she can be productive when she comes on board. Of course, none of that was going to happen ever, right? It yeah. just, I had to just bite the bullet. And what I did for the first month was literally sit next to her Laptop by laptop for her to learn what it is that I do. Okay. Yep. And it probably took around three months because I am a control freak. Everything needs to be done just like this because prior practice success is like my brand and my reputation. But after three months of, of training her, she now just does the things, right? Yeah. So yeah. yes, maybe I invested time in training her up. 
but she's like rocking and rolling. She can, she can run my business. If I had to be sick for the next couple of weeks, she'll just keep everything pumping away. Yes, maybe yep. she can't do the actual delivery of coaching and stuff, but all the back end stuff is sorted, right? Yep. And it has saved me so much time. It is amazing the difference it's made, but I had to get over myself. I had to stop telling myself about all these things that had to be done before, mm -hmm. because what if I waste money paying somebody that's just sitting around? Well, she might be sitting next to me, but she is observing, learning, reading. And, you know, I am worth that investment of money to get that support. Mm -hmm. And it's paid oh, totally. off a hundred times mm -hmm. over. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's exactly mm -hmm. right. I mean, um, I think... <sighs> I guess that brings us to another issue of what people aren't willing to spend money on mm. and how it holds us back. I think the very first example of that is when people are looking at needing admin support mm. and mm. the story that they will tell themselves is they can't afford it. So oh, my answer yeah. is what fee are you charging? Mm. <laughs> That's my first, my, I usually answer, answer that statement with that question. Let's yeah. look at your fee structure first mm. and foremost. Um, but oftentimes it is just a story that mm. it, you actually can afford. When you look at when you look at how much time you spend on administrative tasks yourself, and how much you charge for your clients, and how much it costs to pay a receptionist, before you know it, you freed up so much time in your week that you can see an extra couple of clients um, a week. For some people, it's even an extra couple of clients mm. a day that they could they could fit in if mm. they wanted to. Mm easily pays for the cost of an administrative support person or mm. or for you know a, a virtual support agency like halo mm. um you know i think that people underestimate their capacity to pay for these things and they overestimate what it's going to cost and they haven't done their research to check mm. that out um and i think you know then it, then the next thing is the next thing is guilt i can't possibly pay for fill in the blank thing that's going to make my business run more smoothly or make my life more efficient or X, Y, Z, because fill in the blank excuse. Well, actually, when you, it might even just be getting a cleaner in. I've actually just, just uh, hired a cleaner for my apartment here in Melbourne to come once a fortnight because I noticed that I was initially falling trapped to the idea that it's a smaller home. I don't need a cleaner. I can do it myself. And, of course, mm. I wasn't because I'm mm. too busy. Mm. And um, then getting cross with myself that yeah. the carpet was dirty or the bathroom needed doing or whatever else. So mm. stop it. And so like you said before, all the advice we give is because we often have to give ourselves this advice too. That it's yeah. a nonsense. Yeah. So for me, you know, I did the research. I found out it was going to cost me half what I was paying in Hobart because... Mm. I have half the size of <laughs> property and, uh, and, you know, and it's going to free up so much, not just time in a practical mm -hmm. sense, but also thinking time. Mm -hmm. It'll free up thinking time for me. So, you know, not having to worry about those things. Mm -hmm. So think about the things that would make your business more efficient, even your home life more efficient, more effective mm -hmm. so that you do get that balance. I mean, people are often talking about wanting that balance between work and home mm -hmm. and the assumption that that would, be fulfilled by having their own business, mm. then being disappointed that that's actually not what happens when you run your own business mm. unless you put efficiencies in place and you have to get over yourself to be able to do that. You've got to stop telling yourself mm. silly stories yeah. that aren't true. Mm. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And you know what? I'm yet to meet a practice owner um, that hasn't told me, you know what, Gerda, um, I've now finally hired either a, a virtual answering service or an in-person receptionist and I regret it. Nobody's ever told me no, that. No, I've they never heard anyone tell me. Consistently, it's the, the best thing I've ever thing done and I should have done it months ago. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. The only time anyone says they regret it was if they've made a bad hire. Um, you know, yeah. nobody regrets having taken the leap to get help. And I think, you know, exactly. that, that really needs exactly. to be soaked in. Nobody regrets getting help. Um, yes, sometimes you will hire the wrong person. That's fine. You can move them on and replace them with somebody else. Yes. But getting help, nobody, nobody regrets taking that step. And, and I guess busting that myth for themselves that they can't afford it or it's too hard or they haven't got time to train mm. someone and blah, 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 blah. Because the fact of the matter is, and it, and it always mm. comes back for me to, so, 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 so why are you doing this? You know, what is your goal? You know, do you want to build your practice? Do you want to grow it? Do you want to expand it? Do you want to scale it? If you don't want to, that's perfectly fine, right? I come from a country where your job as a psychologist is to be in private practice solo by yourself until the day you retire. That's how our industry works, right? Um, um, I never even heard of group private practice back in South Africa. I'm not sure if they have it now, but not when I was there. It was just solo and that's what you are. Mm. You know, so 100%. But if you truly want to grow, if you truly want to expand, right, then you need to invest something. And it's either going to be your time or it's going yeah. to be your money, yeah. right? It's going to be one of those two things. And you can't choose to invest your time and then I'm going to be very harsh now. This is how, how I am. And then complain the whole time that you don't have time, right? Because yeah. you're making choice that I'm not going to spend money, so I'm going to invest my time. And I've had this very strong conversation with myself many times over in, in my time as a practice owner with three kids, right? Yep. A husband that also needs attention, right? There's only so much time that I have. So the sooner you can make that decision that you know what, it is okay to stop being a martyr with my time and spend the money and trust and have faith in yep. me that I know that irrespective of how much I invest, I know that I will make sure I get a return on investment because I do the That's work. It. That's it. Right? And it comes back to faith and trust mm. in yourself and who you are as a person that you will do what it needs to take. And therefore, it's okay, you know, to yeah. invest money in yourself and into your practice growth. Yeah. That's, That's how right. I, and and I feel very strongly about that. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I agree with you 100%. Mm -hmm. I think that when we, I think we underestimate what it costs us to do things mm -hmm. ourselves as well. You know, when we work in a service industry where our time is built out, you know, by the hour, uh, and we insist on doing things ourselves, what's it actually costing us to do that thing ourselves? instead of paying somebody else their, their cost to do that work and we get on with the job of doing our work, which we charge out at a higher rate. But it also comes back around to that first question about charging your worth. If you're not prepared to, to if you're not prepared to, to charge the, the, the appropriate fee so you can cover the added cost of getting the help that you need so that your business can run more smoothly, so mm. that your clients have a better customer experience, so mm. that you don't burn out. All of these reasons why it's not just 
people make this assumption well if i'm charging this amount of money then that's what i'm taking home in my pocket and i feel like i'm being greedy you're not mm -hmm. if you're lucky if you're lucky you're taking home as a business mm -hmm. owner you're taking home mm -hmm. far less than 50 percent yeah you're lucky yeah. if you're lucky if there's 30 percent in it for you as a business owner uh, mm -hmm. and people overestimate mm -hmm. the greed factor you know there's no greed there's no room for greed in private practice it's, like, it's actually too hard to make yeah. it financially viable for greed to even get yeah. a look in so. exactly and if anybody <laughs> is making judgments about practice mm. practice generally and, and practice mm. owners as greedy lining your own pocket type of people that just tells me that they have zero clue zero idea of what it is like to be in private practice they've mm. probably never been at the helm of especially a group private practice yeah. you know so I'm not going to take their judgment and put that onto me when they, when they don't have a clue. Like, would you really listen to somebody that doesn't know what they're talking about? Like, no. So don't let those judgments attach them to yourself and your thinking and your mm. behaviors um, because they don't know what they're talking about. No, that's right. They don't. Mm. No, they don't. They don't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That reminds me, there's a, a Bryn Brown quote, um, and of course I'm going to stuff this up, but it comes down to the following, right? Mm. I don't know exactly what book it is, but where it talks, um, that we should talks about that unless your ass is in the arena, you can't comment, yes. right? That's it. So yes. unless your ass is in the private practice arena, building a business, doing all of this stuff, then you cannot comment on what we do and who we are because you have no clue. That's, that's just it. how it is. Yeah, that's right. No, that's exactly yeah. right. That's exactly right. And I think it's true, you know, business ownership. I think business ownership is, uh, it's, it, you, it requires you to be creative. It requires you to be quick in your reactivity from an informed perspective. You need to respond quickly, not be reactive in a crisis-driven way, but you need to be able to move quickly with changing sands, you know, changing foundations under your feet because it changes every day. Uh, you've got people leaving, you've got people coming on board, you've got something that you weren't expecting as an expense, you've got tax, you've got this, you've got that. There's always something that you weren't anticipating and you need to learn to roll with that stuff. Um, and part of that is also learning that you just need to learn to filter out mm. the commentary from those that aren't in your shoes. And that can include other practice owners because not every practice is the same. Not every practice has the same overheads. Not every practice is the same structure. Not every practice mm. is a group practice and so on. You know, you really need mm. to be careful whose commentary you allow in if you're trying to make changes for the betterment mm. of your own business. Be very careful yeah. around that. Yeah, because a lot of practice owners are still in scarcity, are still not running it the way that they should, right? And sometimes they just don't know what they don't know. And that's just the way that they've always done yeah. it. Um, and, and, you know, that's why when you ask for people's opinions, you know, take it in, but make sure that you get it from the right people. That's exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> awesome. We have covered one of those people, ground. of course, Gosh. is Tess Crawley. Tess, are you going to tell them about your CEO workshop coming Ooh, up? Very soon? Thank you for the prompt. Yes. Okay. So the 23rd and 24th of March, which is a Monday, Tuesday, I'm running a workshop, two-day workshop here in Melbourne. And 
I very deliberately made it a Monday and Tuesday because it's a workshop that is structured on not just stepping into your CEO mindset, but actually actioning some of those strategies while we're working together across the two days. So I need it to be business days uh, where you can step out and actually do some things that I'm going to ask you to do while you're in the workshop with me. I know. Um, so some That's of the, the things best that, way. That's the best the, way. We're going to, you're going to leave having actioned some things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll be looking at, yes, we'll certainly be looking at some of the stories we tell ourselves as business owners mm-hmm. and how that limits us. We'll be looking at, um, you know, what it means to have a strategic vision for your business, what it means to understand the difference between being in your CEO mindset and COO mindset, so the, the chief operating officer versus the chief executive officer, understanding those two roles because most small business owners do need to straddle both of those roles, um, putting some plans in place for your business, some growth, growth strategies for your business and actually actioning some things while you've got the support, the cheerleading and the accountability of being on site with me and the others that are going to be present. So they're already about, I think I have about six people coming Mm. along already and I only have room at the table literally for 12 because it's a 12-seat table in the meeting room. So there's the meeting room that I've organised for the um, event. Um, so that's like an amazing event and having only 12 people in the room is going to be such a personal touch of learning and getting stuff done it's amazing i'm pretty excited mm. about it to be honest mm-hmm. so mm. this is it's a workshop so you might see the ads that i've got going around for the ceo check your ceo checkup that's what it's called mm. it used to be, i've run it once before online as an online program and it was then it was called your private practice checkup um, so some of the content is inspired by that program. It's much more about ramping up into really owning your mm-hmm. your position as the owner and driver of your business, even if you're a business of one person. Yeah. One of the attendees is a business of one person. Um, who else is going to be there? Uh, yeah, there's several group practice owners going to be there as well. There'll be a mix, be a good, healthy mix of people coming so i'm really excited about it i'm really really excited about it it's gonna be a lot of fun and fully catered so you'll get you'll get spoiled as well that's always an added bonus you know between me and you and everybody else Mm -hmm. listening i don't know how people can run workshops and not get food it's like Mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense it's like when i go to a workshop i want to be fed thank you Going to be fed. Yes, we have good coffee nearby, and we have good food. And yeah. uh, depending on how many people there are, I will make the decision once I know how many people are definitely coming around the mm. the size and quantity of treats because there's a lot of really good stuff here in Melbourne that can actually yes. spoil the pants oh, of well, people. You make pavlova. I think oh, you make me an idea. homemade pavlova for your attendees. I'm sure you're going to fill up that room even faster. I've watched your stories. You're very skilled in that. (laughs) The funny thing is the weekend, so the Saturday, Sunday, I've actually got my Like a Boss, um, which is my inner circle program. I've got my Like a Boss um, participants coming and staying for the weekend to do a a working retreat. And two of them are staying on for the workshop as well. I don't know when I will find the time to cook a pavlova, but now that you've told everybody that I'm cooking them a pavlova, I may just have to find the time. <laughs> so thank you, Kara. Well, 
I, I know you can do it. I know you oh, can. Thank you. You know, and, I'm um, <laughs> and of course, the lovely Tess will also be at Elevate 2020 to I talk will. about stepping into your inner CEO mindset. And, and that will be part of that fighting fear mm -hmm. section. Right. Mm -hmm. and, um, and of course, Elevate will also look at a lot of the systems and processes, some of which we mentioned today. I mean, structure is so important, right? Mm -hmm. And the two of the, mm -hmm. those two things go hand in hand. You need the mindset, but you need yes. the structure as well. And you can't have the one without the other. That's right? exactly right. No, that's Just exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly, that's exactly so, right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So if you don't have your Elevate 2020 tickets as yet, be sure to hop onto the website at elevate2020.com.au um, and get those tickets before the early bird ends the end of this month. Mm, absolutely. Now you've also got, uh, you've also got your Ignite Your Practice open at the moment, haven't you? Is I that do. right? Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> I've already filled two spaces. Um, for this intake so i still have three spots left which is a six-month one-on-one mentoring uh program you start as mm. soon as you are ready and actually if you do sign up before midnight on the 15th of march you get your elevate ticket for free that is like how much that is, is that such a bonus yes. that's like more than a thousand dollars worth of value yeah. if you mm. sign up for the ignite your practice um yeah but um, maybe I'll just put a link in the comments because I not, well, I don't have a link. So maybe I'll put my email in the comments because you can only um, enroll into that via um, talking to me via email. So there we can make a for you. That's a good reminder. I will also make sure that the link to the CEO workshop, the CEO yeah. mindset workshop in Melbourne, 23rd, mm -hmm. 24th of March, it's going to be upon us before I know it. So yeah. um, yes, I'll put that link. Please in do. the comments too. And remember to yeah. go into the Facebook groups as well and do it there. Yes. All right. Yes, yes, yes. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, we might wrap up this episode of yes. the podcast. So I'll stop recording now. Thank you so much for those to those who are listening later. Don't be afraid to send us through your comments and questions because we really, you can probably tell we're pretty passionate about this topic. One of the biggest things in many, many business sectors, mental health profession in particular, but many business sectors is the issue of burnout. And one of the key, key indicators is having to work too hard to make everything work. And we can trace that right back to some of the stories that we tell ourselves that limit our growth and limit our capacity to charge our worth and so on. Yeah. So we will talk to you again in our next scintillating episode. But for now, thank you, Gerda. <laughs> thank you very much and goodbye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's stop our little recording. Here we go.